Uh, as James mentioned, I'm Chris Saladay. My name is Chris. I'm on PCS staff, campus minister here. Um, it is a gift to come together. It's great to be back. It's a gift to come together at the end of an academic week. I know it was a shorter academic week than the next several will be. Uh, but to come together to, to pray, to sing, to see God in community. I, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you grow. I hope you find a home here. Uh, and I hope you, you find that God is at work among us. We zero in on a Bible passage every Friday night because we believe that God speaks to us through his word. Uh, and we'll come to tonight's passage in a minute, but first let's ask two big questions. <laughs> question number one is about identity. Thank you, Robbie. Who am I? And then question number two, existential question, what is the meaning of life? So I figured you're not tired enough from your first week of classes, so we're just going to full set it tonight. And just let the pieces fall wherever they fall. All right, so who am I? All right, how would you answer that? You know, likely you have a patchwork quilt of answers uh, that you would stitch together. You know, so for me, and I know you can sort of see yourself as well, you know, I'm proud to call myself a Jersey boy. I, I am from, thank you, I'm from the great state of New Jersey. Um, the best peaches and corn ever. <laughs> yes. Uh-oh. <laughs> Did you turn off my microphone on purpose? I was told bragging about New Jersey and you love Texas. Come on. Okay, New Jersey. is a part of our identity often, right? So wherever you are, I often can be a big part of who makes you, right? Relationships are big. I'm a son. I'm a cousin. I'm a friend, husband, a father, a colleague. I am a dog owner. Robbie, there you go. There's my dog. That's right. There's our dog, Jazzy. I call myself a dog owner. My kids are the dog lovers, if you know what I mean. <laughs> no, I love my dog, too. Uh, I, I, you know, you can define yourself or think of yourself in terms of identity with your occupation. I'm, I'm a professional. I'm a, I'm a campus minister. You can think of yourself. I'm a student, right? I have described yourself frequently. There are passions and interests uh, that define us. I'm a runner. Yep. That's my senior year here at Princeton's at the Penn Relays. Another thing that I would probably use to identify myself would be I'm a high pointer. So I've climbed 26 of the U.S. state high points. That's my dad and my brother and I on top of Mount Whitney in California. Um, here, Robert, here you go to the next slide. So what about you, all right? What identity markers would flash into your mind when you think about yourself or if you had to describe yourself? And Princeton is going to be a significant time for you as you develop your identity. Um, who am I really? Who do I want to be? What identity markers actually matter to me as you sift through those, prioritize them? So as we plan our next many, next many Friday nights, we're going to be exploring this theme of identity. Uh, specifically, we will explore different identities that God wants to map onto our lives. You know, I could be identities like, I am a steward, I'm a child, an heir, a sheep, an ambassador, and so whether or not you identify as a Christian, uh, you know, asking these types of questions about identity, um, this will hopefully encourage you and challenge you 
and sharpen your sense of who you are, but also who you can be before God and in Jesus Christ. So let's, our, uh, let's approach our identity marker here tonight, and I'm going to do that through our second big question that we asked earlier. So what's the meaning of life? Or to make this question a little bit more personal, right? what am I living for? What's at the center of my life? What's driving me or defining me? And, and Wikipedia, oh yeah, we've got Wikipedia up there. Wikipedia has made a very valiant effort at this. It's a very question, what is the meaning of life? So here are their top 10 answers. And th these aren't in any particular order, so they say. So one, <laughs> maybe I don't need to read this part, right? <laughs> to realize one's potential. Two, to achieve biological perfection. Three, to seek wisdom and knowledge. Four, to do good to do the right thing. Five, to find purpose in through religion. Six, to love, to feel, to enjoy the act of living. Seven, to have power or to be better. And that's actually, in some ways it starts taking a turn. Eight, life has no meaning. Nine, one should not seek to know and understanding the meaning of life. And then 10, it's just, life is bad. <laughs> All right. All right, you look at that list and you might think, okay, well, there are some of those that I would circle as, you know, this, this, this is part of what I believe. You know, I, I, I would own those. Um, and so as you think about that, as you think about the meaning of life and how we grope for meaning, I now want you to listen to what Jesus has to say, particularly a passage where I, I, I can, when we hear it, Jesus puts a big spotlight on the meaning of life. And it comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Um, Luke is one of the four Gospels that we have in the New Testament, and it was written within, you know, a generation of Jesus, his life, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection. Um, so these are the words of Jesus from Luke 9. Listen. And then he, then Jesus, said to them all, as the crowd gathered around him, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Some translations, their very soul. So Jesus says, your life purpose, right, your ultimate end, what you're here for, what you're created for, is to be his disciple. That's the word he uses. If you want to save your life, that is, Jesus says, you, if you want to enter into the purpose for why you exist, then you must lose your life. You must become my disciple and lose your life. And then in verse 23, he says, losing your life entails denying yourself and following me. And it's okay if you're confused at this point, because I, I think you're supposed to be. I, Jesus is deliberately speaking over our heads. But by God's grace, I think we can eventually grasp what Jesus is getting at here, what he's claiming about himself and what he's calling us to. Okay? But this does bring us to our identity marker here for tonight, which is, I am a disciple. Jesus, he uses you know, that kind of language in verse 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Jesus had disciples. We hear that he had 12 disciples, but there were many others, other men, women, even uh, children 
who, besides those 12, who followed him around, who you know, could describe themselves as his disciples, his followers. And, and even today, 2022, the language isn't used as often, but a Christian could describe himself not just as a Christian, you know, one following Christ, but as a disciple of Jesus. So let's spend the rest of our time here unpacking two postures of what it means to be Jesus' disciple coming out of this text. So posture number one is I'm a learner. Right? Fundamentally, a disciple is a learner, is a student. It's really basic. Right? There's a teacher, and then there are learners or disciples under that teacher. And Jesus himself, he emphasized this kind of teacher-learner relationship. This is earlier in Luke's Gospel when Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And when you think about it, just we're in these kinds of teacher-learner uh, relationships all the time. It, it might be an academic teacher, a coach, a grandparent, an older sibling, Maybe an author or a podcaster that you respect or admire, listen to, bosses that you have worked for or are working for. And, and a learner or a disciple, by definition, is, is someone who puts themselves under the wisdom of another. Right? You, you place yourself under the wisdom of another. And here, I have a little matching game. There's a bunch of... I mean, maybe you can see where I'm going with this. Sort of, so... These are just some examples of those, uh, some who have been mentored meaningfully by others. So football fans, you know, at the NFL began last night. So up there is Bill Belichick on the left, on your left. He's a New England coach. He learned under Bill Parcells on the right, New York Giants coach, retired. Bill Bright, uh, he's on the left. He was a college ministry pioneer in the 1950s, and he was significantly mentored by Henrietta Mears on the right. And actor Denzel Washington on the left, you know, he was mentored and had a very significant friendship with Sidney Poitier. Pretty much every famous person you know, if you read their biographies, they have people who were significant teachers in their life where they learned from them and it made them who they are. People mentored them. People, you could say, discipled them. And this happens to us as well. And so I just you just pause right here. Just think for your own your own self. Who are the voices that you've listened to, you know, over the years of your life that God has given you? Who are those voices that you trust that have shaped you and influenced you? And, and then who are the voices that you are planning on or that you will listen to during your time here in Princeton and beyond? That no one is neutral. All of us are being shaped and allowing ourselves to be shaped by a variety of voices. And so who are they? And what are they saying? And Robbie, if you go to the next slide, I think. Yep. Hear Jesus' words again. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple. And, and is that something that you want? Is that something that you're pursuing? Or, or maybe thinking about pursuing? Do you want to learn from and listen to Jesus? Are you open to that as a possibility? And as you think about that, it really comes down. In all of our relationships, it comes down to trust, doesn't it? Like, 
all of our relationships, if you do not trust, if you do not respect the teacher that is above you, or the parent, or the boss, then probably, almost certainly, that mentoring relationship with them is going to look like, you probably would say something like, I am going to do all I can to not be like them, to not do as they do, right? And it's like reverse psychology discipleship. But if you trust and you respect the one that you are under, then you're going to catch what they teach. You're going to imitate who they are. You're going to do what they do. And so here, I want you to do a little imagination exercise. You know, picture a teacher or a mentor that you've had in your life, or maybe that you currently have in your life. Just go ahead and picture them in your mind. All right, now imagine that you spend one solid month with that person, like 24-7, nonstop. So you see how they drive when somebody cuts them off. <laughs> You see how they use their free time, how they spend their money, how they respond when somebody praises them or criticizes them, how they speak to strangers and how they speak to their family members or their close friends. At the end of that month, you're either going to trust them more or you're going to trust them less as a mentor, depending on what you saw for those 30 days, right? True discipleship, like really learning from someone, has a lot of depth to it. It is based on trust, and it's based on the teacher's character, and it's based on your personal relationship with them and how they live their life. And I just think it's incredible. Jesus, he knows this, and this is why he spent three solid years, 24-7, with his followers. Is because he gave them sort of an unmistakable window into who he actually was. I mean, you know that you you can't you can't hide for a week with like somebody living with them for twenty four seven, let alone three years. The real you will be seen, right? And so the, the, those who follow Jesus, they saw the real Jesus, and and I want you to hear what immediately precedes this call to be his disciple. This is the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. So here, yeah, Robbie, yeah, thank you. Okay, so this is just the first, the verses just before this. Jesus says, once when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the proud say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. And then Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man, referring to himself, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. And then the words that we heard earlier. And then Jesus said to them all, after saying all that, whoever wants to be my disciple, and he goes from there. So just notice what happens immediately before Jesus invites people to be his disciples. Number one, someone, in this case Peter, recognizes Jesus' unique identity. He's God's Messiah, God's special agent to accomplish God's special plan on the earth. And then number two, Jesus tells them that God's plan involves him being rejected, involves him dying, 
but then overcoming it all by rising on the third day. And, and so let me put it this way. In the, in the context of this passage, as we think about I am a disciple, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Jesus says that you can trust him. Why? Because he is the Messiah. It's revealed that he is the Lord, he is the Savior. And because he has accomplished God's plan for you. He's done this out of great love for you. He died and was raised to life for you and for me so that we can have forgiveness of sins and that we can belong to the family of God. Jesus, when that comes out, right, his identity and his great love for us, he's willing to die for us, that's when he calls people to follow him because he says to them, I am trustworthy because of who I am because of what I'm going to do for you. And, and so connecting it back to our meta question, Jesus' disciples believe that he can be trusted when it comes to humbly uncovering the meaning and the purpose of life. And he is the teacher who can reveal to us the meaning and the purpose of life. So that's the first posture of a disciple. I am a learner. And Jesus is our great teacher, but Jesus is more than a teacher. And this is where we come to the second posture of being a disciple, is I am a loser. I, I really thought long and hard about that, but it, it fits with the passage, and I also have always wanted to say this to a room full of Princeton people. <laughs> You're all losers. <laughs> no, Jesus' message is clear. Disciples have to lose something. They have to give up the right of self-autonomy or complete self-autonomy. And this is, this is really implicit in being a learner. We might not pause to think about this, right? But there, there's a posture of, okay, if I'm a learner, then I don't know everything. I have to give up my right to determine what is best, what is good, and I have to allow someone else to define that for me. Right? So, you know, coming back to Jesus' words, it's here what he calls us to lose. He says... Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So Jesus says, if you want to follow me, be my disciple, then you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and lose your life for me. And so Jesus' invitation is basically, come to me, I'm trustworthy, but come to me and die. And I know some of you went to the activities fair today, I'm guessing, right? I see some heads shaking, right? And I, I, I imagine you probably did not hear the invitation along the lines of like, you know, come to this acapella group and die. <laughs> or if you, if you want to join the chess club, you must lose your life when you come, right? <laughs> I mean, when you think about being a member of a group, you do have to go through many deaths, if I can call it that. Right? They're small. Uh, sometimes they're, they can be sizable. Like an acapella leader might correct you on, on how to project or how to present or how to breathe when you sing. Or a chess teacher might tell you that you know, the favorite strategy that, that you always like to use has its weaknesses and you need to stop using that in certain types of matches. Right? So part of being discipled 
is being willing to die. Um, we often do that in very small, small ways. Uh, we die to self and self-determination. We listen to another. You have to be willing to be, I'll use the language again, you have to be willing to be a loser. And Jesus says that being his disciple, it doesn't just involve you know, one aspect of our lives, like how we sing or how we play chess. No, he says it involves our entire being, our entire life. You're no longer your own. And so as Jesus has these people gather around him in his little mini sermon, he says, look at a Roman cross, and in order to follow me, you need to go get one of those, pick it up, and die to yourself on it. And that's the beginning of what it looks like to be a disciple with me. And then you need to do that the next day and the next day. You need to do that daily. It's not a one and done. It's, it's a daily process of learning how to die to self and live for another. And also, I know a lot of you have just gone through orientation, whether you're grad student orientation or first year orientation. And, um, you know, Princeton orients you as to what they expect of you here, rules, responsibilities, how you're supposed to live. You just can't live however you please at Princeton. And, and Jesus' call to his disciples means the same thing, but just on, a, on the most macro scale imaginable, right? It, it's that we completely reorient our lives around him and his purposes, just like you orient your life around Princeton and Princeton's purposes for you during the semester. And, and this is why the, the first disciples ended up calling Jesus Lord. Because this is what he's talking about when he was referring to himself. And Thomas, he's one of the 12 disciples. He has this great confession where after the resurrection, he touched Jesus' side, his hands, and he confessed, my Lord and my God, when he was looking at Jesus. And in that, Thomas is saying, I'm no longer my own, Jesus. You're my Lord. My life and all that I am, it's in your hands. It's rightfully in your hands. I trust you. And, and so when you're Jesus' disciple, this is what we live out. We live out this, I am a loser in that way. And, and it is difficult, and it is wonderful. Um, I don't think I need to tell you why it's difficult, because anytime anybody meddles in our life, it is difficult. And Jesus is going to meddle. Um, nobody likes somebody else coming into their space and just messing things up. Jesus wants to be Lord over everything. Our finances, our possessions, our relationships, our future ambitions, our emotions, our bodies, our words, our entertainment choices, what we use our eyes for, where, where our hearts run. And this is hard and difficult for us to hear because we just want to be our own independent agent. All of us, it's against our nature. This is what Jesus does. It is, it is difficult, but again, you have to come back to, is he trustworthy? But where I want to end is, is, is this is also wonderful. I mean, it, it, it is difficult, but it is simultaneously wonderful as well. And, and, you know, because if you think about it, being Jesus' disciple is wonderful because it is immovable. It is secure. Right? Some of you have identity markers, or had identity markers, you know, where you would say things about yourself in the past, like, I am a first chair violinist, or I am the top physics student, right? And then at a place like Princeton, the majority of people who come here, they're just not able to say this about themselves anymore. 
And, and this happens to everybody, and it can be very disorienting. And it doesn't just happen in Princeton. It happens throughout life everywhere. I'm a runner. I know you saw a picture of me running. I think about, like, Usain Bolt. I just admired him many years ago, and then I watched the World Track and Field Championships this summer, and I'm thinking, like, he's no longer the fastest person in the world. But there's lots of people that we can say that about, right? The vast majority of our identity markers, when we think about it, and we don't like to think about it, they're so temporal, so fragile. But if you're Jesus' disciple, there is nothing, absolutely nothing in this world that can take that away. Listen to what Jesus said about his disciples. I give them eternal life. This is in John 10, another gospel. John 10, 28. I give them, my disciples, eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Like, being a disciple is immovable. It is secure. And in that sense, it is absolutely wonderful. And just another aspect of what makes being a disciple wonderful. It's wonderful because it's the path to true life. This is what Jesus referred to here, right? Whoever loses their life for me will actually save it. It's a paradox. Jesus says when you lose your life, when you turn it back over to him, you actually save it. It's the heartbeat of the passage. When you lose your life for Jesus, it is wonderful. He gives you real, true life in return. And I remember, I'll, I'll speak autobiographically here. I know some of you have heard my story, so you just have to hear it again. Um, but I remember learning this lesson in a very deep way my first year, my freshman year at Princeton. I was in 402 Feinberg Hall down at First College. Are they going to bulldoze that, by the way? It's going to live on for a while. Okay, all right. But my central purpose in life was to achieve things. And I did that mainly through academics and athletics. And, and then that sort of secondarily to win people's approval and respect. That was my central purpose in life. That's how I was trying to quote unquote save my life and make my life matter. And then there were days that I won races and I got decent grades. And what did I have to do? I had to well, just keep endlessly striving to just keep that going. And then there were days that I came in last here at Princeton and I received disappointing grades. And so then what did I have to do? I had to endlessly strive and try to turn it around. So whether I was successful or unsuccessful in achieving what I wanted to achieve, I had to endlessly strive to save my life and to make it matter. And I just knew, this is my freshman year, I just knew this can't be what life is all about. There has to be more to this life. This can't be what is the center of who I am, what defines me. And so slowly, I began to discover that Jesus Christ, he's the one who holds the keys to real life. He's the great teacher, but he's also the savior who we can give our lives to. And it becomes, it, it, it begins when we put him at the center, when he becomes, as the disciples call him, our Lord. And Jesus says this so plainly, he says, whoever loses his or her life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus, he has the boldness, the audacity to tell us that he is the one who is meant to be the central purpose of our life. He's the only one who can hold that. And I can testify to you now, like 30 years later, 30, 
four years later, right, from my freshman year, that Jesus is trustworthy, that he is good, that he's worthy of your life, and you will find true life when you give your life to him and live for him. So there, there's our first identity marker. I am a disciple. So whether you're a disciple of Jesus right now, or whether you're considering it, you know, the postures are the same as we think about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? A disciple is a learner, humbly learning from Jesus, growing in him, and a disciple is a loser. And a loser in the sense that you yield your life to Jesus. You learn what it means to put him at the center of everything. But I want to end here tonight with the focus on Jesus, right? I, I want you to see a Savior who turns to us and says, I gave my life up for you. I sacrificed myself for you. You were my mission. You were my purpose. I want you to see that. I want you to hear that. I mean, and ultimately, I want you to believe that and embrace that and live that. Because it's then... Like, when you see Jesus and who he actually is and what he has done for you, it's then and only then that you can listen to and respond to Jesus when he says, out of his great love for us, now that you've accepted and now that you believe who I am and what I've done, now it's time for you to give your life back to me. You sacrifice for my sake. You live for me. What I did for you now you do for me. Imitate me. Follow me. And then that great promise, as you follow me, Jesus says, you will find true life. As you lose your life with him, you will save it. He will save it. And you will find true life as it is meant to be lived. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for each person in this room. And just on the cusp of a, another semester, we pray, I pray that there would be a lot of learning that takes place this semester. Learning in classes, learning in relationships, learning in activities. I pray that you would bless and strengthen each one here in their learning and in their communities and, and so that they would grow in the ways that you want them to grow as a student and, and just in all the circles that they find themselves in. But Lord, we turn to you because we, we hear you, you are the great teacher, but you're also you're the great savior. There is no one like you. And so we also ask that in this semester, in this year, as we learn a variety of things, Lord, we put ourselves under your feet. We want to learn from you. We have so much to learn. And Lord, teach us too what it means to yield our heart, our mind, our lives to you in a deeper way, to lose ourselves in the thousands of ways that we can lose ourselves for your sake. And as we learn how to do that by your grace, by your spirit who is at work in us and in the world, I pray that as we lose our lives for your sake, that we would realize that we are finding it, that you are saving us, you're changing and transforming us, and you are using us 
in the ways that you've created us. So Lord, thank you that we can pray to you, that we can sing, that we can worship you, because you alone are worthy of our trust and our faith. We pray all these things in your name.